Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of Arsenal and Football Studies. This week featured Champions League match day four at home versus Sevilla, and Premier League match number 12 also at home against Burnley. Welcome back, Professor. Hi, Dove. Uh, I, did you, not only did you get to fly solo, you got to fly solo with that Newcastle game. Uh, that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting one. I mean, definitely if you have anything to add beyond what we covered, I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts, especially on the officiation. <laughs> Uh, so, so, I mean, I, there, there's two areas that really generate a lot of officiating talk. One on the goal, um, yeah, three different, three, three different VAR checks in one goal is annoying, especially given they all went against us. I mean, having watched it again, so what I'll say is I did not watch that game live. I only watched everything after hearing about all the noise against them sources. I was watching, I was very careful to sort of keep an eye on what was happening. Uh, as far yeah. as the three different calls, I I I am not convinced the ball was out of bounds. I understand why people are, but I understand the cameras, the angles. It maybe there, there should right. be a camera. I'm on not the convinced line. either way. Like I didn't yeah. see a camera angle that definitively shows that it stayed inbound. Yeah, the one that we right. did get to see did make it look out of bounds. But I agree, it's not conclusive. <laughs> it's not conclusive. Uh, the second call there, the the non push on Gabrielle. Um, Again, sort of knowing that was coming, as I watched the replay, I, I could see why it wasn't called. Like, I feel like it's the kind of thing I've seen not called. I can see sort of how he's leaning and perhaps, bef- you know, maybe before this extension. Um, I was significantly more bothered by that when Bukayo Saka was called for a push in the box against uh, against uh, Burnley there. That was pretty much the same amount of push. And then I found the, the lack of offside decision mostly frustrating because, like, they couldn't... What do you mean you you couldn't figure out when... That, I, I just found that explanation unconvincing. Although, overall, I, I mean, yeah. So, I, I, to turn it the other way, I can see from Newcastle's perspective having the three reviews on the goal, all of them going in Newcastle's favor. I, again, I found a lot of them kind of... They were all close calls. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I'm frustrated. But to, to me, the call that I was particularly outraged about, and I think the one that, that Arteta in particular was outraged about, wasn't the goal. It was uh, Bruno Guimaraes elbowing, I think it was Jorginho in the head. It, it, don't elbow people in the head. <laughs> I don't know how much more clearly we can say these kinds of things. That was the one that I'm just like, how is there nothing there? I mean... Should Newcastle feel slightly aggrieved that Kai Havertz is still in the game after, you know, the, the kick he had? And, and, you know, could that have been a red? Yeah. I understand their, their frustration there. And I get that. And I do find it kind of hilarious that they got a bunch of yellows for arguing about it while it was happening. <laughs> right. But I mean, it, and then afterwards, uh, there were some comments released in review and I can't remember where I saw, but some comments in review. The general consensus from the review and the officiating from from the league from PGMOL was okay. There should have been a red for Havertz. Okay, I I I, I can't I can't be super angry about that. But for them to come back and be split on whether or not Bruno's elbow is a a, a, a violent whether or not it's violent conduct, like I don't. What are you looking at? <laughs> yeah. And that that to me is where Arteta that that as far as I see in some of the conversation afterwards is where you see Arteta's anger really come in. Um But then he had a lot of really nice things to say about the officials after this weekend, so <laughs> when you're winning it's easy to be kind. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I thought overall the officiating was fine yeah, on, it was. On, sa- yeah. on Saturday. And you know, again, we're very critical of them instances yeah. in some instances we should be able to turn around and say, actually I thought they did a good job on some case. It's okay mm. it's okay to say the referees did a good job. <laughs> but you know, that also is where it opens up to the referee to saying referees are having a poor game and especially in a game like this Newcastle one because of the intensity um, you know, we talked about being at St. James's Park. I mean, we talked about last year's game. There's a lot of intensity in that game. It was a very physical game. Does feel like some teams are allowed to play physical with their opposition, and uh, more so than others. And Newcastle's one that seems to be able to get away with that kind of stuff. Yeah, make of that what you will. <laughs> but uh, that's that's how, that's how I saw it. Um, but yeah, that was fun. 
Yeah. So uh, before we move on to other topics, a couple things I wanted to mention is, first of all, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, subscribe to our channel. It'll help us to get more viewers and keep going. If you hit the like buttons and subscribe to our channel, I- I'm told that that's a good thing, <laughs> that it'll help us out. So so please do when you get a chance. I don't want to only ever ask at the end. I want to ask at the beginning sometimes, too, because that hopefully falls on more ears. Um, the other thing, a funny anecdote I wanted to share with you. So, you know, my, my son is, is a character and he's like six and a half years old now. And the other day he was doing like the L on his forehead thing. Right. Except he wasn't doing an L. He was doing a C. Right. And I was like, you know, it's supposed to be an L, right? He's like, no, it's C for Chelsea. And somehow <laughs> I'm doing something right. Like that, that came through as an insult to him. So, <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, it was just very funny that he knew of the team and knew that it was, you know, a rival. So, yeah. Ra- raising them right, as they say. Who, <laughs> uh, by the way, had a cracker of a game apparently this past weekend to draw Manchester City 4 4, which is Ooh. just. I didn't see any of it. I just saw the score. Apparently it, got, apparently, it got crazy, which, you know. Wow. Yeah, Chelsea, who has struggled to score goals, apparently has scored eight goals in two games against City and Spurs. So. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Still not very good, but that's <laughs> So uh, if we could spend a few minutes on some follow-up, and this is kind of going back a few uh, weeks now for some of these. So um, for one thing, we had talked about Odegaard having to take the long way around back to the bench, right? And then that came up this most recent week. Also, Asaka, I think, when Saka was injured, it was like some kind of leg injury and they made him take the long way around too, which I felt like he should have been able to take the short way back when he's got some kind of ankle situation or something like you should be making him walk on that more. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in, in any case, in any case, the rule is you're supposed to typically more or less it's if it's basically closer where you're closer to right. the goal is to get you off the field at that point, if they're limping around all the sidelines, nobody cares. I mean, cause theoretically at that point, especially if there's a real problem, you know, staff can come out and help him. They can carry right, him, right. him around. But the idea is they want him to get him off the field. And because, yeah. again, as we've talked about, what you want to avoid is, you know, the player being subbed off, walking slowly, shaking a few hands. Right, of course. Clap the face. Like, so, do all the things that lead to time wasting. Right, right. So my follow-up question on that, what I didn't think to ask, is you had said that there was a walk-off rule change, mm-hmm. that this is something that had been disseminated. And what I was curious about is, so we noticed that during the Sevilla match, when we faced them away, and it sounds like because we just saw this happen with Saka, I think that was during the Burnley match. That was a Premier League match. At what level was that rule change made? Is that a FIFA change or what? Uh, yeah, presumably that was a change, a modification to the rules of the game or the laws of the game, which are, you know, generally applied everywhere. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I would be curious. It's always an interesting question because FIFA and the FA and all these big organizations, their ideal is that the rules are consistent from the highest professional leagues all the way down to the amateur Sunday stuff. Yeah. You know, which was part of their argument resisting things like, you know, replays, which, again, mm. there's a lot of argument about that. The English have a very different perspective on that. As an American, I feel differently. But um, I, I I feel like that's one of those. I don't remember what level it was changed or even how well that's going to be enforced. The farther down the, um, what you will call the, the, like the pyramid you go right. in terms of competition. Uh, but certainly at the highest levels, you know, FIFA internationals. Games like, you know, UEFA competitions or even, you know, the Premier League and these top level English competitions. I think that's probably that's one of those you really can enforce at any level because where you walk off, it doesn't matter how many if there are any stands. Forget how many people in the stands. Are there any stands at all? I mean, it, right. it doesn't matter. You can just take it off at a certain place. And so I think okay, that's but, one that's applied more generally across the but game. So so when that's the case, though, what body is making that decision? What body decided that that should be the law of the game? Who uh, is the soccer legislature? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the laws of the game are managed officially by a board. I forget what they're actually called. Uh, that's run out of FIFA. Now, it's an interesting okay. little si- historical side note. Uh, each, each of what are called the home nations, so England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales, each has a permanent representative on that board as the okay. So it's like the, the UN Security Council type setup, so, sort of. But it's a yeah. small, it's a smaller board, right? And so they together they make those collective decisions on the laws of the game. Now, how those are fully applied 
you know, all the different organizations make a choice whether or not to adopt those. Now, typically they do. If you know, mm-hmm. I mean, look, if, you know, if, if FIFA makes a change to the laws of the game, the FA is probably going to adapt them because the FA was part of the decision. So, like, you know, there's no there's no reason they would necessarily not adopt that. A lot of the stuff you wouldn't see deals with more technical stuff like replays, which is going to be very technologically dependent. You know, even the highest level league in a, you know, a smaller country maybe not be able to do replay because they just don't have the money for the technology in their stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, versus versus being done say in a UEFA competition where UEFA can help cover that or in the Premier League where the, the, they have the money. <laughs> they, yeah. can, they can afford this stuff. So Yeah. Okay. Uh, next follow-up item. Um, a couple weeks ago, we played against a keeper whose name rhymed with a holiday that I was just joking about. Um, it seemed like you were quick to move past that. Is, is that a taboo? Is that like a superstition that we don't mention it until it's closer or just... Uh, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Totteringham's day jokes are, are good at any time of year. Okay. Um <laughs> It, you know, it's just, I mean, there was just something else to say. It sounds like it, ah, it was a good laugh. I mean, you know, we're not going to make a big, I mean, we are, we're not too far ahead of it at this point. It's obviously November. So like they're clearly having a strong enough season that like when that day happens, when that day happens, it will be closer to the end of the season. Probably. Yeah. Again, I expect, well, we'll see. I, I, I think there's a general <laughs> sense that I was reading something today, sort of looking at the, looking ahead to the season. Right now, City is the clear favorite, obviously, to win the title. Arsenal and Liverpool are the two in the conversation for potentially challenging, definitely in that two and three spot. And then, you know, Spurs is kind of in a, a second, or a third tier sort of below that with teams like Villa, Newcastle, arguably United, I guess. A disaster recently. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, fighting for that fourth spot, you know. So they'll finish, you know, are they going to finish top four? Probably, but... Mm-hmm. Now, they're top four, but not. There's a difference between being fourth place and you know what appears to be, at least in the early going, sort of the Liverpool Arsenal. We could actually compete with City, maybe for the title. And then, of course, City is sort of at this point now. Right, feels a bit like a level of their own, as 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 we've talked about. Yeah. All right. So some follow up about loans from an interesting source. Um, so the day after we recorded last week, uh, my, my father and I recorded no relation. Um, after that was a U.S. general election. And I worked that election. The election was on a college campus. Uh, most of the voters in my poll site uh, were college students. And so naturally, there was a pretty long slump in the from like 6 a.m. until maybe 9 or 10 a.m. where not a lot of students were awake and coming in to vote, right? <laughs> so one thing that I did to occupy myself, I'm sure I'm sure you relate, and actually one person I was working closely with was actually a, a professor at, at the school. Um, but anyway, so one thing I did to occupy myself in that time was I saw that Apple Arcade recently gained a, the edition of Football Manager published by Sega. Wait, so it's Football Manager Touch. I'd never played this before. Um, the, the text size is clearly meant for like a six foot screen, not <laughs> like a little phone. tiny phone screen. Phone. The text is like scaled down. It is not made large enough to read on a phone screen at all. But so I didn't play a lot, but I played enough to get to the point where there, my... And, and of course, I was managing Arsenal. I was putting myself on Arteta's shoes. Um, uh, what's what's the assistant coach's name? Uh, AFS. I can't. Stoyenberg. Uh, Stuvenberg. Stuvenberg. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. So right. So it got to the point where he was recommending some transfers. So I was like reviewing transfers and making contracts and stuff. And I did see that there were variables in play that I hadn't had in my mind when I was discussing this on the show last week, where yes, you can optionally pay some or all of the player's salary as part of a transfer deal, as well as a transfer fee. So that was something that he had asked about. I wanted to follow up on. I've learned something new without even trying. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I I actually I did play a little football manager uh, during during COVID during lockdowns because I had ah. a lot of time on my hands as we all did. <laughs> uh, that is a rabbit hole you can go down. I have not played football manager since lockdown. Um, <laughs> I, I I have to say actually I um I I, I briefly everyone's got a football manager story like everybody has a fantasy league story uh, you know <laughs> fantasy team. Uh, but I, I I had actually I decided the one I stretched a long time was actually I did as the U.S. national team manager. I went through a World Cup cycle. Hmm. Um, 
Let's just say I those those games. I by the time we got to the World Cup, I was pretty tense. Which I was like, <laughs> this isn't really healthy. I feel like this isn't healthy for me. Is really what it came down to. And then of course, you know, the world started to reopen. And I was like, oh, I have actual things to do with my life now. So that was right. so. Uh, um, but yeah, football <laughs> manager is a bit of a rabbit hole. Every once in a while, I say to myself, I could, I could re-download that, and I just think, no, no, don't do that to yourself. That was awful. That was don't do that. It, it's yeah. definitely more of the the business side of the game compared to a game like uh, what what was called FIFA, the EA right. Sports version, or now I believe it's now ESPN FC or a- yeah. EAFC or something like that. Right, right. Which is definitely more about the gameplay you actually play in the game. You can right. Do a lot it of has like, management outside. aspects, but it's definitely focused on on the field. Right. Yeah. The, the level of the level of tactical nuance and the business side of the game is something you're going to get in Football Manager. You're not going to get yep. in FIFA, which is much more about put a team together, go out and play, and they want to play the game. So, yep. So one other brief follow-up on transfers and stuff. Like what One word that I probably should have used, because it's how I think of it in my head, but to me, the biggest difference in worldwide soccer compared to every other sport I'm familiar with is liquidity. Like There's just so many teams. Players are liquid in a way just because it is a financial term for a fairly financial concept. Like Soccer has turned it into a business because of liquidity of the players. It just makes sense that players move around one direction. You don't have the tra- you don't have trades, right? Like like he was asking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, or, the, or, or I liquidity. should or I should say they are exceedingly rare. They do happen. There are instances okay. of players being swapped. Like we had one a few years ago uh, with United. We swapped. Oh God, who, uh, it was it was two underperforming players both way. Like it was a trade where everyone's like, we're trying to get rid of these guys. And then we got them like, oh, this is why they're trying to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody wound up happy in this. In this right. Season. I know we picked up Henrik Mkhitaryan, and I forget who we sent to United. But either way, <laughs> they weren't. We weren't thrilled terribly thrilled with Mkhitaryan. They weren't terribly thrilled with the guy they got. So yeah, they're yeah. not very common. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. A correction from last week. I misspoke. I said something totally wrong. I had said something to the effect of if they had called a foul on Newcastle instead of giving them the goal, that somehow that would have led to a penalty kick for us and it would have reversed it from 1-0 Newcastle to 1-0 us. And no, we were defending that. That could not be the case. Listening back, I was like, wait a second, Dove. No, (laughs) no, that is not right. (laughs) Yep. They were in the box. Why not? It's a bit of a... Yeah, right. (laughs) Which box? Who cares? (laughs) Um, And then... One other thing I wanted to point out too, just listening back to that was we we're talking about like David Raya catching crosses. And I had mentioned, you know, especially if it lands on the ground, it could be kicked in pretty easily if he's that far forward, but it could also lead to a very easy header if he missed it too. Cause if he misses it, it's in the air. Whoever is in position to get it could have an unopposed or more unopposed header to get it into. Mm-hmm. Um, one follow-up question. So um, we had the question posed last week. What happens if the keeper gets a red card? And my research confirmed my initial hunch, which is, okay, well, you'd substitute somebody else to and bring in your second string keeper. However, what I thought of this week, this is just kind of one of those edge cases my programmer's brain goes mm-hmm. to. What if your keeper gets a red card after you've made your five substitutions? You're at your limit. Uh, then someone else on the field has to play keeper. And this and happens gets, by the... And, this, okay, this and he gets the you powers know, of keeper. He's able to use his hand. He gets... He will get... He'll get a keeper's kit. I might have someone else's name on it or might just yeah. like... Or he'll have to wear a different shirt or some kind. Maybe he'll just put on a war... Basically, he has to be wearing something different, obviously. Right. He gets the gloves. And, and this has happened... I think I told this story. Um, It happened in a game... New York City was playing in a playoff game against Orlando... Orlando's right. keeper got a second yellow. They were out of subs, so they had to put a position player in the net. He made a save in a shootout, which was very annoying. Right, um, I remember you mentioning that now. Yeah, and, and actually, it happened I don't know, maybe a couple weeks, maybe around a month ago at this point. In it happened in Serie A in Italy. Uh, AC Milan's keeper fouled out. They had to put uh, a striker, former Arsenal striker Olivier Giroud, came in, made a save. Um, 
And now apparently they are selling, at least Milan was for a brief time, maybe they still are, was selling keeper kits and you could buy them with Giroud's name on them. They would make, <laughs> they would make them. With the, they don't usually sell the keeper kits. They certainly wouldn't sell them custom, but people were calling in, can I get a Giroud keeper kit? And they said, yeah, yeah okay, I guess we'll do I, or, I, And they sold, they sold out of them. People, people right. loved it. But if people love Olivier Giroud and, handsome, and his handsome French forehead, meaty French forehead. Yeah. Um, all right. But yes, if if that happens and a field player takes the gloves, gets a shirt, and he's the keeper. Right. I thought it would be something like that. I wanted to confirm, so thanks. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone really long on follow-up and other assorted topics. Uh, let's let's drag it out even longer before we talk about this week's matches and talk about World Cup for, uh, for next time. So it's going to be the international break again, and I've been informed by you that... Africa is going to start having qualifying matches with this international break. So um, as we've done in the past, we're going to pick the teams uh, this week that we will be following into the international break. Um, so as a recap, uh, I am currently following Colombia. No, Argentina. That's you. <laughs> You're following Colombia. Boy, I'm not even looking at a list. That was just. Yeah. Okay. Would, you, would you like me? Would you like me to pick up on the list on this one? Yeah, right. um, sure. You are, you are following in, in South America. You are following Argentina. Well, I'm I'm following Colombia. And then for Asia, I am following Japan and you are following India. Correct. I agree. <laughs> Amen. Good. So, so, so for Africa, who did you have in mind? Uh, so do you want to talk briefly through the qualifying process in Africa? Sure. Or do you want to just jump into team? So Go briefly, Africa's, Africa is a, always been a complicated one because Africa has a lot of good teams that tend to miss out because their qualifying process has been a little convoluted in the past. Now they're simplifying it in part because they just get so many more spots. Should end up being simpler. Should. We'll see how that actually <laughs> happens in practice. But, um, uh, Africa's qualifying is a very simple two stage process. Uh, they, they have been divided into, uh, let me, hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, nine groups of six teams, uh, nine groups of six teams. The winner of each group will automatically qualify of the second place teams. The top four will qualify for a playoff. The winner of which will go to the interconfederation playoffs along with a couple other sides at the end of, um, at the end of the qualifying round. So, Typically, what you'd wind up with is you'd have a bunch of really good African teams that would have to play each other for a spot in the World Cup. Now, what we're going to see is uh, probably the be- probably these top African teams on top of their groups, but we might see some of them drop into this into this playoff stage. So we'll see how that plays out. Could be very interesting. Yeah, that seems like a good way to do it when you've got a lot of teams that that could deserve an appearance. So yeah, that, that makes sense. All right, so who who's your pick? Um, do we not do, do you not want to go first? Uh, you know, I suppose I can. I, I'm pretty sure that mine isn't in contention. So <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, who is it? All right. Well, I happen to have a familial connection to South Africa. So they are a pot two team. Uh, so they will apparently, uh, Nigeria, I guess, is the pot one team in their group. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, Bafana Bafana, the boys, as they're known, um, <laughs> They hosted the World Cup in 2010 for the, old, right. the African World Cup. Uh, so they, they have qualified on their own before. So it's not the craziest idea that they could actually do so again. Uh, but being in a group with Nigeria is, I mean, the, Nigeria is one of the preeminent African powers. Um, there, that group, Group C, I'm just looking at it, Nigeria, South Africa, Benin, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, and Lesotho. So... Um, I think I, I think have South definitely Africa, heard of some of those. Yeah, I think South Africa is probably going to be in the <laughs> South Africa is probably likely in the running for that second spot. I think they have a pretty good shot at that playoff stage. Uh, Benin is one you might want to watch out for, but that's one I. But I think it's a good team to wind up potentially in that second round. But who knows? Nigeria is a team that also you know will slip up in moments when they shouldn't. And if there's you know if South Africa can get some results against those lower ranked teams, maybe they're in position to take advantage of that when that if mm-hmm. if and when that happens. Yeah. So, who's who's your pick? Um, I am going to take Egypt. Uh, Egypt is actually historically one of the strongest African teams, at least in continental competitions. They've done very well over the years in the Africa Cup of Nations, uh, the sort of the Confederation Championship. They have, on the other hand, have difficulty have had difficulty over the years qualifying for the World Cup. Um, they're uh, uh, the pot one team. Uh, they are uh, on top of Group A. With Burkina Faso, Guinea-Bissau, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, and Djibouti, 
everyone, every nine-year-old's favorite African country. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I feel pretty good about Egypt's chances to qualify, but that's something that Egypt says every World Cup cycle that they feel pretty good about their chances. There, you know, again, good, good side, a lot of good players. Uh, Mohamed El Neni out of or El Neni out of Arsenal. They have an Arsenal connection. Uh, Mo Salah at Liverpool is probably the most famous uh, Egyptian currently playing. Uh, the Pharaohs. Um, typically a very good team should be in good position to qualify for the world cup. But so like we talked about with Nigeria, you know, every once in a while, some of these African teams, you never quite know. And it, it just sort of falls apart for them. So, yeah, but, uh, but this time through I'm pulling for you, Egypt. So, <laughs> okay. And what's the U S doing? Uh, very quickly. Uh, yeah, well, so the U S is actually in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF nations league, a totally separate competition. Uh, they're going to play Trinidad and Tobago. They'll be in Austin, Texas on Thursday, and then they will be uh, in Trinidad on next week, I think on Tuesday. Um, assuming they win those two legs, which they should, uh, <laughs> we can talk about the history of the U.S. and Trinidad next week. Uh, but if, assuming they assuming they win these two legs, they will go to the semifinals and finals, the final round of the CONCACAF Nations League, which will be held next March. And I believe I saw, I don't know if it's official or I think, or I know actually I saw it's official. Um, is going to be in Arlington, Texas at uh, hmm. AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Jerry World, as we, as it's sometimes both affectionately and unaffectionately known. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that, so in, in North Texas, so I'm not saying I'm going to go, but I'm not, not saying it either. So we'll, we'll yeah. see. That'll be interesting. Oh. Um, the stadium seats 90,000 people. It's not like I couldn't get a seat if I did. <laughs> um, yeah. So... So, yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on uh, as well this coming weekend. Cool. So, uh, let's have a very, very, very brief entry into the messy room. Um, I have one question and a couple of very brief comments. So, they played in a match this week. I caught the first, like, 20 minutes or so, and then the last, like, 30 minutes or so live. Um, This was against NYCFC. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure what this match was. It seemed like it had something to do with a golden nacho or something. What, what is it? Uh, yes, this was the Noche d'Or, which is of course a good mix up of the good mix of Spanish and French that everyone right. expects. Uh, so <laughs> Messi towards the end of the year was announced as the winner of a FIFA award called the Ballon d'Or, the golden right. ball, which is basically given out to the world player of the year. He has now won it for the eighth time, which is a record. <laughs> yeah. He's really, he's really good. Um, yeah. So in celebration of this, uh, Inter Miami had an exhibition, the Noche d'Or, the Night of Gold, um, if we want to translate both languages right. into English. Um, I, I, I had heard a rumor that there were supposed to be, um, it was actually supposed to be an exhibition against, I, I don't know, maybe like a Chinese team, some other foreign team, because Miami did not qualify for the playoffs. Um but I guess for whatever reason that fell through. And so New York City, for some reason, was available and agreed to do it. Um, okay. This was so a chance to sell. This was a chance to sell a bunch of tickets and make the club a little bit of money, even though they're out of the, even though they didn't make the playoffs and could have a playoff game. And right. you know what? It probably worked because I'm sure they got a bunch of people because, you know, they can always sell tickets for people to go watch Messi play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that probably allows me to answer my own question, but I'll still give you the opportunity. So one thing we, I don't know if we've really actually talked about it, but I noticed this starting at the end of last season when I was watching Manchester City playing in the Champions League final and then in the, uh, I forget, it was, I guess it was the FA Cup final would have been the other one that I saw them playing in. Mm-hmm. I noticed, so it seems like a pretty broad international convention that you'll have when you're playing in some kind of special game. They'll have a little commemorative blurb in the center of the chest with what the competition was and what the date is and probably who they're playing against or something. Just a few pieces of information in text and the center of their chest. And so they did that for this exhibition match, the Noche d'Or. Messi didn't have that, though. In its place, he had some kind of special crest. Is that related to him receiving the Ballon d'Or? Is that what that is about? Or is it something else? Yeah, probably. Okay. I, I didn't actually watch I didn't actually watch the game. Um I didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be honest. I so, but it, I guess given it's it's something also you'll you'll see these a lot usually for retired players are called a testimonial. Um yeah. where you'll have basically it's an exhibition game usually between two teams that are prominent in this particular player's history. Um 
My dad actually attended, uh, Pele had a testimonial, uh, played at Giant Stadium back in the 70s. Hmm. Um, I believe it was between the New York Cosmos, which is the American team he played for at the end of his career, and then I believe it was also, my dad says it was a Brazilian national team. I think it actually was uh, Santos, which is the club he played for in Brazil, and part of it was, it was an exhibition game, and he apparently played one half for one team and then switched hmm. sides to play the other for the other. That's this a cool is idea. essentially this is essentially what it was. It was a testimonial to Messi, yeah. which is kind of weird because he's still actually going to play next year. He's still very much a, an active player. <laughs> right. But again, as we said, I'm sure Miami sold a bunch of tickets and made a bunch of money, and everybody walks away happy. So good for him. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. So just a couple of very quick observations. Uh, I don't know if it really requires further commentary, but I just thought it was funny. So in American sports, I haven't noticed them doing this in in Europe at all, but. Um, when they finally scored a goal, I think they ended up losing the match, but eventually they finally scored a goal and fireworks went off. This is something that I'm used to seeing in American stadiums when a touchdown or home run or goal is scored that will set off some kind of pyrotechnic display in the stadium. I, I have seen in Europe, there'll be like pyro cannons that'll just like shoot flames. I don't think I've seen actual fireworks before though. So... What it was just funny watching the live telecast of it though. The goal celebrations going on, the fireworks go off, they go back to the field, and all of a sudden the field is covered in mist <laughs> and it's the smoke from the fireworks. You just couldn't see what was going on. It was it was very cloudy for the next few minutes until the air cleared. <laughs> yeah, fire, fireworks are an American thing, and you'll see that. I, my favorite is you actually go to some like the Super Bowl, which you know, when they play in an indoor stadium, they will still set off fireworks and. It's always weird at the beginning of the second half after the, that big halftime show where, um, you know, everybody's just playing through the smoke in, yeah. because they were in it because they're inside. Um, yeah. I never thought about it being inside and there being fireworks. It just seems ill advised, but yeah. <laughs> Only in America. <laughs> so, uh, one other thing, and I know we're, we've made fun of Rayal Salt Lake's name before on the show, but I hadn't seen it written until during this match. They, they mentioned it and it's, <laughs> they don't even have the accent on the E. So it really does just look like real Salt Lake. Like if you put the accent on the E, at least it would go along with the crown that they have in their crest, but. <laughs> Yeah, although I believe if you actually look at, I'm, I'm looking at this up to be sure, but if you actually look at Real Madrid, uh, they don't have an accent either. Ah, okay. So they're, they, I mean, if you're, I mean, that's what they're copying. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. This isn't a surprise. But yes, right. Houston, Houston did knock out Real, Real Salt Lake on penalties, which they will now face one of the, the slightly less dumber, though very Europeanized uh, name, Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's actually funny. I had a lot of live matches I watched this weekend. So I watched Messi live. On Friday, I had watched Arsenal not live that Friday. Like I didn't get to watch the um, Sevilla match until I was watching the replay on Friday. Um, but then we were watching TV and like Saturday night, I, it was really cool. Or Sunday, I got a notification from the Apple TV that that match had gone to penalties. Hmm. So it's cool that the Apple TV will do that, where it'll say, hey, there's a tense moment going on in this match. You should watch it. I think, actually, I also watched the end. That, that's why it was so much. I watched the end of the Sounders match. Um, I forget who they were playing against, but I think they moved Dallas. on. Dallas. Yeah. It's Dallas. Yeah, they, you're right. They beat Dallas to move on in the playoffs. So, um but yeah, like they were saying, oh, there's like 20 minutes left and it's a close score. Maybe you want to watch this match. Like it's, it's a cool idea. And it actually got me to watch matches or parts of matches that I would not have otherwise. And the penalty kickoff, a penalty shootout was something that you know, Reed, my son watched with me too. And he was actually interested in watching that. And it was, it was a pretty good one. So okay. saves on both sides. So. Yeah, good. It was, uh, it was it was a good win for Houston. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> All right, we're leaving the messy room. <laughs> Before we get to this week's matches, uh, let me take a brief moment to thank our sponsor for this week, Zencaster. So we use it for every episode. We're using it right now to record this. Uh, it's the easiest thing. We just open up Chrome. I open it up. I click record. Keith has it open and we're off to the races. Um, that's all. It takes care of everything. Our tracks, our video and audio tracks get uploaded as we're recording and then we're able to download it when we're all done. It records locally. It's, it's been an indispensable tool for us. It's, it's so easy. Um, 
you just record a podcast by logging into your browser and starting a recording to record a high quality podcast right away. You record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. To which we can definitely attest. We've definitely had connection stability issues at various times, possibly, including this week. So far, so good. But we've been touch and go a couple times. No matter what, we've never lost a recording in Zencaster. There have been times where we thought we were going to, and yet that multi-layered backup strategy saved save our bacon. Um, it is an all-in-one solution. So if you thought about podcasting before and gave up thinking you needed a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and then distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations super easily. Uh, you can also use their new iPhone app if you're in the field. Um, I'll be on vacation next week. Perhaps I might try it, depending on the recording circumstances. And you can just record right from your iPhone. Um, so if that all sounds good to you, so it's something you want to try, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code Gooner, that is G-O-O-N-E-R, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all our podcasting content needs. It's time for you to share your story. Uh, the easiest way would be to use the link in the description or show notes to pop that open and sign up. And we hope you do. So, uh, we are over half an hour in at this point, so we might have to give short shrift to at least one of these matches. Well, well, um, you know what? Well, I think actually it's it's probably <laughs> a, a good way to point this out. I, I I thought they were very similar matches in a lot of in a lot okay. of ways. I I, I I I you know I don't want to say we necessarily should address them exactly together this as if they were the same <laughs> game, but but I don't I don't know. I, let me let me turn that on you. As I watched these two of those, I felt I was watching two games that tactically played out in very similar ways. Uh, it, it, is that the impression you got? I hadn't been thinking about that at the time. Uh, now that you pointed out, I, I think so. I think that we played a similar lineup in both matches. I think that Sevilla was... <laughs> the score doesn't exactly end up indicating this, but I feel like they were probably they, a little bit stiffer competition still, um, but not as strong as the first time we played them. I think that overall that it was easier on us. Um, yeah, I, I think the scoreline flatters them a little bit. I thought they looked... I don't want to say... And I want to be very careful about this saying this. Like, I'm not saying they weren't trying or they quit or they threw the game or anything. But it didn't really look like they were trying. Like it didn't yep. look like they came to the. It looked like they came to the game with the idea that, well, let's see if we can get a draw out of this one. <laughs> um, and you know, they had a. As I understand, they had a big game. They were some rotation in their lineup. They're dealing with some injuries. They had, I think, a big game in La Liga on the weekend. So they might have looked and said, "Eh, we're not picking up three. We're not getting three points in London. Whatever." And yeah. and then poor poor Juan Lu is going to be every time he closes his eyes. There's Gabriel Martinelli going around him. Yeah, it just just <laughs> tortured him. Yep. Yeah, I mean, for me, one through line throughout both games is I'm really starting to get frustrated with Kai Havertz, and and, and to be fair to him, it seems like he's getting frustrated with himself. Also, yeah. you can see it on his face every time he blows an opportunity, which he excels at. Um, but it's just frustrating. He he he's in good places to score a lot of time and he just can't finish it's it's very frustrating to watch yeah and i think i think some of that's there's a bit of adjustment still for him sort of figuring out exactly where it is i think arsenal in general is struggling with this sort of sense there's been kind of a sense that and and i'm curious to hear what you think about this you know last year we were handbrake off i mean we were pedal to the metal we were go 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 we scored goals early we scored goals late we scored goals scored goals scored goals and it feels like we are sacrificing some of that go for broke offensive style this year for a little more. And this is the general sense that we're being more controlled in games. Now, there are some some clear reasons why this may be the case. We've been dealing with a lot more injuries in the early part of the season. Yeah, I mean, you definitely. look at the lineup we rolled out. I mean, look at this week. We didn't have some of our first choice offensive players. We didn't have uh, Gabriel Jesus. We didn't have Martin Odegaard. We don't have Thomas Party. I mean, these are some really important guys, important to pushing the game forward and driving us forward offensively that we had in the early part of last year, obviously, and did and, and currently don't, and we've never really been able to quite get them all in position. Um, the, yep. the other part of that is some of this is, I think, deliberate coaching that Arteta is having them play more controlled. They're conserving a little bit more energy. I, I you know, 
Ideally, this means they'll be a little, I don't want to say fresher, perhaps a little fresher at late in the latter part of the season, you know, having not gone gone for broke in September, you have a little, maybe just a little bit left over in the tank to kick on in April. I, I don't know that it quite works that way. Obviously, mm-hmm. we can't do a one-to-one comparison. This time of year, we were getting ready for the World Cup. So you can't really make those comparisons across the last two seasons, but I wonder if that's a little bit of it as well. Um we have been a little more controlled, and I think some of it is deliberate. But again, some of it, I think, is also adjusting. And I think Havertz, there's the adjustment he has to joining a new team, but also the adjustment of Arsenal itself is trying to sort of its figure itself out. And, and yeah, the biggest weakness to his game, as you point out, is his finishing. He, is, he has missed some real opportunities, and, you know, that's very annoying. Yeah. Um and I, and I, you know, I've I've been a bit more of a Havertz defender. I know here, and and, and I, you know, we talked about this. The fact that he, whoops, sorry about that. Oh. Amber, sorry about that little Amber alert popped up. Um, <laughs> yeah, for a child, by the way, within the state of Texas, it was like six hours from here. I'm sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's a big state, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> I, I I I think with Havertz, you know, the fact that he keeps getting himself in dangerous positions is a good sign. Right. But you're right. Yeah, at some point you do want to start seeing that finishing going in there. Um, but I, I think, yeah, yeah I, I understand the frustration people have. And, I, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit, too. You kind of want to see when is that going to turn into goals? Because um, we could really use some right now. and we're, we're Exactly, there. yeah. Yep. So um, I'm just looking through my notes of the match. I mean, I'm not really seeing much else that I had specifically wanted to talk about. I mean, one <laughs> one thing, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. In the 71st minute of the Burnley match, mm-hmm. um, we had to take some time to sit and watch uh, Fabio. I almost called him Pablo Vieira. <laughs> That's just what we're going to call him on the show. Um, Fabio Vieira sitting on the pitch, tying his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently the PGMOL is going to have to have uh, some shoe tying classes for their referees now too. Like we were talking about with yeah. the six reps. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it is funny. Everyone, I mean, sometimes guys, guys shoes come off and some of them are, you know, it's interesting. Some of them are tied on there pretty tight. So when they come off, they have to unlace them. So then they right. actually get them back on their feet. And yeah, it is, it is kind of funny. You see a guy there, what's he doing? He's tying his shoes. But I mean, you know, it's, it was just Sorry. funny how long yeah. it took, I guess. Yeah. I and mean, he looked annoyed the whole time. Like, he was having trouble or something. I just don't know what the yeah. situation was. But I mean, that's got to be funny. the that's got to be the weirdest thing that you're sitting there. It's not like you're hurt. It's not like there's anything really wrong. But you have to, you know, tie your <laughs> shoe. Something that's theoretically very simple. But you're doing it, of course, in a stadium of 60,000 people who are all watching you. Which I, right. I don't know. Something about that feels very weirdly disconcerting to me. Like, that would, for some reason, you know. It's one thing to be a professional athlete and to do all the things that you do, in part knowing full well that, like, most of the people watching you are incapable of that. But everybody ties their shoes. <laughs> and then here you are in the field. That's what you have to do. And I, I, I might be self-conscious about that. I don't know. I, I, that's a very interesting one. Um, we'll need to get a slow-motion replay of his technique. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, every, I don't know. People make fun of the way I tie my shoes, and we're, we can we can have that conversation another time. But I, well, I, so let I'm not me actually... This might be an opportune moment for me to educate our audience a little bit, because I think a lot of adults don't realize that they may be tying their shoes wrong unknowingly. Let me just say this, because this has been... This was news. I was talking to a parent or something, because I was talking about kids' shoelaces coming untied, and I think a lot of grown-ups don't realize <clears throat> so you do the, the first part you cross the laces around right and then you loop swoop and pull right however what you may not realize is depending on which direction you cross in the beginning whether the back lace is the left one or the right one depending on which one is in back you need to loop swoop and pull like when you swoop around you need to go either from behind or from in front depending on which lace is in which position and if you do it the wrong way you end up with the loops perpendicular to the rest of the shoelace you want your loops to be parallel with the laces as they approach the knot right when the loops go up and down like toward your toes and toward your leg you've tied what's actually a granny knot. And as that gets tugged by your foot, that'll pull looser instead of pulling tighter. 
and you may not be aware of it and you would probably just shrug it off like okay whatever they're tied but it is actually possible to tie your shoes wrong even doing it what seems like the right way so i've just been stressing not explaining all that to my son yet but the consistency of it i'm learning i'm teaching him i know my method when i do it a certain way i know it always turns out right and i'm teaching him do it that way don't think about it as always in this order and in that direction so that way hopefully his he won't have a granny knot (laughs) I feel like this is a shot at Burnley that we're spending our time not talking about them and talking about shoe tying. Um, but, I, but you know, again, I think they came in sort of like we talked with Sevilla. I think they came in. Hey, Burnley's struggling coming up. And, that, you know, they mentioned this during the broadcast that they are because I, I, you know, mentioned the audience. I actually spent last week uh, dealing with a, a, a symptomatic case of COVID, which was uh, first time I've had a symptomatic case. So that was unpleasant. So I did not go to the bar. I walked by myself alone at home uh as as one should probably should in those circumstances um so i heard the commentary which was an interesting change (laughs) of pace um burnley is one of the youngest teams in the premier league we by the way are one of the we're uh, like the second youngest uh which i find very interesting but um yeah burnley's struggling um you know they were a little fortunate to pick up a goal although i thought overall raya you know we've we've been critical of raya in the past i thought he actually was i mean he didn't have a lot to do. Certainly, he didn't have anything to do in the Sevilla game, but I thought he was pretty solid when he was called into action. Did make a couple good saves, at least in the first half in the Burnley game when the game was still very much in the balance before you know Lander Trussard uh, gave gave himself up uh, for for the goal. Um, yeah, you know, glad he's okay, and he came back out for the second half like he was yeah. fine. So you know, I guess it was just a bruise. <laughs> uh, that's which right. is good. Um, you know, but. Uh, yeah, and then you know Saliba gets it right back. Uh, you know he had a, he had made a couple of great tackles in both games. He's so good, mm-hmm. just so good. Um, and then uh, did you enjoy um, the the uh, the crane kick from Zinchenko? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the plenty of comparisons to the Karate Kid um, were made by the commentators oh, after yeah. that one. But yeah. deservedly so. I mean, it was amazing. It was it, crazy. It's, it's such a that's such a strange position to be in, and it's such an easy ball to just blast into the second yeah. deck, and yeah. it, he gets the perfect amount of curl on it that just dips right in. Um, yeah, I mean, it was yeah, yeah, it was like Neo the first time he dodges the bullet with that like famous bullet time shot where the camera like moves around him in a circle, and then you know he he finishes the kick. It was it was like that. It was just like. Yeah flying up in the air and yeah yeah <laughs> I, you know so i guess if you're gonna have you're gonna have goals i mean they you know again like the the, the uh Sevilla goals i i'll be honest i'm trying to remember them in my head and i i don't they don't stick out to me the, but the burnley goals i can picture them all i can picture trussard throwing himself into the post i can picture saliba you know coming up for a solid header and then uh you know uh daniel son here or, or alexander son <laughs> uh with the with the finish um it was that was you know it was, again if you're gonna score make it make it a good one um, <laughs> that was a, that was a, a lot of a lot of fun um, not so fun at the end of that game uh, we saw I, what did, what did you think of of Vieira we talked about him in the shoes yeah. it's a more serious incident what do you think about the red card yeah I mean well first of all judging. By his reaction, so I've got my take on it, and I've also got my like secondary, how did he react to it? There was not much argument from him, not much indignation, right? Like It seems like he pretty much like, yeah, my bad, that was a, mis- a mistake. I, clearly, it wasn't something he did on purpose, yeah. but... You know, it was it was contact with the studs on the leg, like and fairly high up on the leg, if I remember right. Um, and it's it stinks. I don't think he was being reckless, but I think it's just the kind of thing that's going to happen sometimes. And he felt bad and tried helping the guy however he could or whatever. And you know, <laughs> I think it was a red card. Uh, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but I, if that had happened to us, I would want it to be a red card. So. Yeah, that was one of those. You like, I was watching it live, and I sort of kind of missed it. Partly because it was it was late enough in the game, we're up by two goals, it was kind of over. So I admit, yeah. parts I was like, oh, let me clean up for breakfast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then you see the replay, and you're like, Ooh, yeah, like live, it didn't look like much at all. You're like, what are they talking about? And then as soon as yeah. I showed the replay, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, the kind of thing we would call for. And the, I mean, that's always the good test, right? If that happened the other way, how would you feel about it? Yeah, I I, I agree. The problem that's going to put in for us is, of course, that with a straight red, and it was a straight red, um, he's now out for three games. Right. Which, I mean, 
Fabio Vieira isn't like a critical piece to what Arsenal does. No, but but Fabio Vieira's out. Thomas Partey is out. Martin Odegaard is out. Like you're, we're, we're starting. To, well, really, I'm focusing on players in the midfield. We're starting to run oh, midfield, yeah. in, that part, in that part of the field. And, you yeah. know, we'll talk a bit about this, I think, next week, sort of looking ahead. You know, we've sort of used the international breaks as a way to break up their schedule, right? There was the first chunk of games, August and September. The next chunk of games, you know, September to October. We've now hit this third chunk, October, into the, between the October and November breaks. We're about to hit a run of about another seven games coming out of the break. Two a week. We still have two Champions League games. Uh, you know, every uh, the two more Champions League games. We have a league game. Uh, a Premier League game is also going to be midweek. We have games on Saturday on the Saturdays as well. So we're about to hit a seven game stretch. Will take us about to the holidays, uh, to the holiday fix, the festive fixtures. You know, <laughs> right around right around Christmas and New Year's. And a couple of those we're going to be missing Vieira. I wonder if perhaps maybe you see him play. In the Champions League games, we still have we still have Lons at home and at PSV. I wonder if you see him play in those games, if only to give some other guys a breather and get him some games. Right. And what is that? What are the knock on effects? I mean, that's kind of the problem with the injuries is you have the knock on effects of some guys who you're working guys in. We saw Mohamed El Nini put in an appearance this week, which is it's great that he's up and running and he's he's a nice useful player to have. But you add that in, I mean, you know, I. You know, you'd start to worry a little bit about bodies, and we talked a little bit about this as well. We're going to hit January, uh, which is going to see the uh, the Asian Cup and the Africa Cup of Nations, the two continental competitions, which means we are at the very least going to be without Tomiyasu with Japan, Hardy with Ghana, probably El Neni if he's healthy with Egypt. We're going to be missing a couple of guys, uh, a couple mm-hmm. of key players, and, you, you, you know, you... It'll be very interesting to see how we think about that. Again, we're, we're, I mean, we've sort of forgotten about him. We had Yuri and Timber, right? He was a right. big signing for us. He was clearly playing already, and now he tore his ACL, and he's out for, the, right. out for the year. That's an injury, and that's testing that depth that we've supposedly been building up. Um, having Declan Rice helps. Um, nobody talks. Notice nobody talks about how much it costs. Right, he's now just, he's, he's I, been awesome. We've been he, oh, yeah. very, I, very good with him. Yeah, Declan Rice is awesome. <laughs> no arguments. That's, that's yeah. That's the moral of the story. Anyway, we we've kind of covered a lot of ground here. Um, I, I don't know. Are, do you have any other thoughts about Sevilla Burnley? Like we're just going to meld them into really one opponent. Do you any other thoughts about Sevilla Burnley or Burnley or either game? Or do we want to just jump into our player or players of the week? I, I have a couple quick questions. I think um, the one for each match. So I noticed the Champions League refs, or I guess UEFA refs, who were on the pitch for Sevilla, on their shirt backs all the way at the bottom. Um, they had, it said, "Be a referee." I'm wondering who that's meant to appeal to. Is is like UEFA hiring, or are they just saying get involved in the grassroots, like we've talked about, like just yes. locally? So both yes. of those, or so so that's for everybody. Uh, they, I mean, as we've talked about, being a referee is difficult. Not a lot of people want to do it, in part because of a lot of the responses you get for being a referee. So there's a there's a push to make sure because it is going to be a problem, and I'm sure you're you know you you do with youth sports. You know, it, it's difficult to find people who will be referees, umpires, things like that. And so they're part of trying to, hey, you know, be a part of this. Like, join. Yes, right. at the grassroots level. But, you know, like, at a level like UEFA, if you're refereeing the Champions League, you're a guy with a lot of experience. They don't have trouble finding referees for that. It's the people who yeah. are underneath them working their way up through the system, the ones who are supposedly the best that are making it to this level. Yep. Those are the people they're having trouble finding. So, yes, they're trying to get people involved in the, in the game at that level. Uh, you know, and and I hope it is because we do need referees. We've been critical of them, but we need them. They're the game. You really can't have the game without them. Of course. Um, So one last question. So during the Burnley match, uh, they mentioned that Raya plays for Spain. Is he their number one? Is he their main keeper or is someone else? Uh, No, he is not in part because Spain has several potential keepers who are in that in that sort of mix. He's he's in the mix. I mean, the hope, of course, is that for him is that he will be their keeper. You know, in his case, he's hoping next summer during the European Championships. Uh, He has been called up for their games in this window, uh, but also on there. um, Unai Simon, who is the goalkeeper for Athletic Bilbao. Uh, Players not called up include uh, Kepa Aritha Balaga, who plays for Real Madrid. 
you know, he's pretty good. Uh, Robert yeah. Sanchez, the keeper at Chelsea, has also been played up. He's actually played, he, he was called up at, uh, in March of this year. So uh, Spain has a lot of competition, but, you know, they're Spain. They're, they're on that short list of teams that says, yeah, actually, no, we really could win the World Cup. So, right. You know that the competition for that is is fierce uh, for that position, right? Well, that's why it, it was surprising because it didn't seem like he was in that level. Mm-hmm. That was why I, I thought the answer was probably no, but they didn't say otherwise. They just said you know he's been called up for his national team or whatever. So I just didn't know in what capacity. Yeah, no, he's he's I, he's on the list. I mean, yeah, Spain is typically they can find someone who's better than who plays for Brentford, but he plays for Arsenal. I mean, the Ars and our you know Spain's keeper could play for Arsenal. You know, there's that mm-hmm. sort of the the idea of the classical player, but of course it's Spain. I mean, chances are the keeper at Barcelona or Real Madrid, if if he's Spanish, probably be the Spanish keeper. But you, right, you, you gotta try, you gotta try. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about player of the week. Uh, who's your pick? Um, you know, we've we've kind of touched on this. I think they're two very different games. I think they deserve two very different uh, picks for player of the game. I am going to say, and I don't. Maybe you'll agree with these. I don't know. Um, I think Martinelli was the best player on the field against Sevilla. We talked about him torturing Juan Lu. Um, he was really good. Uh, you know, got a got uh, he's an assist. Uh, he, you know, he, he was very good overall. Caused a bunch of problems for them. Uh, I, I think I'm going to say Trossard for the, the Burnley game. I, yeah, the goal, I think, was a good sort of cap to the fact that he did a lot up top. That's a difficult position he's asked to play sort of in that. It's not a false nine, but almost sort of. He's not really a striker, but playing in that central position sort of where Jesus would be. He's definitely, a, in some ways, his passing and movement is a little more Jesus than Inkedia. Inkedia is much more of a classic number nine, a classic goal-scoring striker. But I think uh, Trossard did a lot of good things there to to pull Burnley around, cause some opportunities, and and is you know put his body on the line to to get the goal. And you know that was a it was a big moment to go in at, at, at half scoreless would have been a, a you know a big boost for Burnley. But to get in a goal to be up one nil uh, was it was a good you know big moment in the game, and he he, he got it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I am in full agreement on the player of each of those matches. Um, Martinelli and Trossard were my picks too for those. Um, Martinelli just, I don't remember the last time I've seen him looking like he wanted to win as much as he did against Sevilla. It was just relentlessly chasing and pursuing. And like you said, he had an assist, but it wasn't even that. It was just the entire game. He's just on top of things, just like going after the ball. Like I haven't seen him probably since last season. I don't remember him having that intensity at any point this season so far. And, and yeah, Trasar just all match long against Burnley culminated and <laughs> taking one for the team. Um, so if you had to pick between those two, who would you give it to for the week? Um, ooh, I guess if I had to pick between the two, I think Martinelli did more in the Burnley game than Trossard did in the Sevilla game. So if I was going to lean one way or the other, I'd say Martinelli. But I do think Trossard deserves a particular shout out uh, for for his performance in Burnley, or we could just you know do the difference and pick a player like Saliba or Declan Rice, who we've talked about are both pretty <laughs> awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I between those two, I would lean to Trossard just for having a direct goal and the manner in which he scored that goal certainly deserves some recognition for a lack of concern for his own safety when getting a goal for the team. <laughs> so, so yeah, cool. Um, what is coming? up next week i know it's it's a lot as we're tracking all the world cup qualifications yes international break uh we know we're up to six teams for world cup qualifying that we're tracking uh with only three confederations to go uh so uh <laughs> that'll be fun uh let's see if we can go through this in south america argentina is on 12 points they're the top team in south american qualifying they will face uruguay at home and then at Brazil, which, by the way, if you're actually going to try to track down a, 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 an Argentina game during World Cup qualifying, Argentina-Brazil never disappoints. Um, <laughs> last year's last time out actually involved a couple of, I think it was the game in Brazil, involved a couple of Brazilian health officials running onto the field, stopping the game because allegedly some of the Argentine, Argentine players hadn't passed their, their, their physical or hadn't passed some COVID tests. I mean, some just some like, what is happening here? Moments. Um, wow. Never disappoints. I, I think Conmebol qualifying, maybe, I don't remember. if they, Some South American stuff is on Paramount Plus. I don't know if they have that one. Just 
Again, if you want to track down a game, Brazil, Argentina never disappoints. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's Argentina, also in South America. Uh, Colombia is currently in fifth in South American qualifying. Uh, they will play uh, Brazil at home in their first game and then be at Paraguay in the second game. All Switching right. to Asia, uh, we look at Group A, uh, the second round of qualifying where both India and Japan are getting started with qualifying. Uh, India's in Group A. They will open uh, at Kuwait and then play their second game at home against Qatar, uh, the host of the previous, of the most recent World Cup. So an interesting couple of games for India. Booth kit critical games, you know, it, it, Kuwait's a team they're probably competing with for that second spot in the group. And uh, Qatar, I mean, you know, you beat, Qatar's your seeded team and they've got some weaknesses. You know, if India gets a result there, that could be, that could make that group a little more interesting. Um, mm. And then Japan will open up its qualifying at home against Myanmar in their first game. And then their second game will be technically at Syria. But as you might know, Syria is not in a good way as a country right now. So that game will actually be played in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. But it will be technically a home game for Syria. Japan will play and Japan will open up its group with that. Two games. They I, I, Japan should feel pretty confident about getting four or five wins out of this group. I, it would be very, I would be shocked if they perform less, but we'll see. You never know. Yeah. Um, and then finally, our two, Af- our two new sides, the Africans opening World Cup qualifying. Egypt is in group A. They will be home against Djibouti. And then uh, second game at Sierra Leone, uh, which a game is actually being played in Liberia. Um, presumably there is some difficulty with uh, Sierra Leone. Again, you get to all parts of the world. Who knows what you're going to run into problem-wise. Uh, and then finally, South Africa is home against Benin and then at Rwanda. Uh, so that is uh, what is coming up over the international break. And then, of course, looking way, way ahead, Arsenal and um, Brentford at Brentford back in the Premier League. That'll be on the 25th, so the Saturday after American Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> Lots to look forward to. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, you might want to consider listening to our podcast. If you're listening to our podcast, you might consider watching on YouTube. And of course, if you do watch on YouTube, please like and subscribe, as mentioned earlier. To support the show even more, of course, you can become a Gooner U super fan for ad-free episodes and bootleg recordings available the night we record. Uh, another little thing that we're doing is we are running long, so when we say goodbye, um, we keep recording for a little bit. So if you're a subscriber, you get to hear what we banter about. Uh, after we've uh, kicked out the public. So <laughs> that's another little bonus for you. Um, it's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Zencaster. You can find them with our special link in the description. You can follow our show on Twitter at GoonerUShow for updates and to ask questions. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners. <laughs> <laughs>